Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern-style worship and an on-time message from God's Word by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here's this week's message. If you have your Bibles, turn to James chapter 5. Last week I shared with you about two parts of James chapter 5 that are most neglected. We've covered the first of those last week. We talked about the anointing with oil to call the elders and to come to anoint with oil in the name of Jesus, believing that healing might take place. And I shared with you that that's neglected. There's a second aspect, though, of this dealing with the matter of prayer and the matter of the power of God. It's located here in James chapter 5, verse 16. That's what it says. Therefore... Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. What I want to focus on today is the importance of confession. All right? The importance of confession. And specifically, we're going to talk about the importance of confessing our sins to one another. What does that mean? When it says to confess our sins to one another, and why is that so very important? Well, I think the first place we need to start about the importance of confession is to talk about the importance of our confession of our sin to God, right? So hold your hand here for just a minute. If you flip a few pages over in your Bible to 1 John. The epistle of 1 John deals with how to have fellowship with God. As a matter of fact, I feel like after we get through with James, we may go right into 1 John. But, but it's, it's talking about how do you have fellowship with God. Not how to have a relationship with God. The Gospel of John really talks about how to have that relationship with God. But once that relationship is, is settled, and once you know that you're a child of God, and, and that's settled forever, amen? I'm so glad that when you're born again, you don't have to be born again and again and again. You're just born again one time, just as you were born physically and it happened one time, so you're born spiritually and you're birthed into the kingdom one time. Now, once you're birthed into the kingdom, you may be in fellowship or you may be out of fellowship. You may be an obedient child or you may be a disobedient child, but you are a child, amen? And first, the first epistle of John is not dealing with a relationship, it's dealing with how to have fellowship, specifically how to have fellowship with God. Listen to what it says in verse 3 of 1 John chapter 1. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also that you also may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write so that our joy may be made complete. In other words, he says, we want you to know how to have fellowship with one another and and how to have fellowship with God. That's what this epistle is all about. He goes on and he says in verse 6, If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Then in verse 8 he says, if we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Even as believers, we still sin. And then probably the best known verse of 1 John is 1 John 1, 9 when he says, but if we, here's that word, confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous or just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That is the key of how to maintain fellowship with God. We maintain fellowship with God by confessing our sins. The relationship with God was settled at the cross, amen? But how do you maintain fellowship with God? You maintain fellowship with God by confessing your sins to God. 
So here's the reality. All of us have sinned, right? All of us have sinned, and we still sin. Did you sin any this week? I'm sure you did. I, I haven't been living with you, but I'm sure we all had a chance to sin this week. Amen? All of us sin. Therefore, what we're called to do is to confess our sin before Almighty God. And God says he will cleanse us, and therefore we can maintain our fellowship with God. You got the picture? We all sin, and whenever we all sin, we need to confess our sins before God. And whenever we confess our sins before God, we maintain our fellowship. Notice one thing about it says, when it says confess our sins in verse 9, you need to take that word sins, you need to circle a little, little letter S. It's sins. There's a big difference between sin and sins, not just plural. Sin is the nature of sin. Sins is the activity of sin. And in our lives, the activities of sins, whether attitude or action, whatever it might be, those are the things we do, and those are the things that we need to confess before God. And if we will confess before God, here in 1 John, it says that we will stay clean, we will remove any barrier, and we will walk in fellowship with God. And it's a lot more fun walking in fellowship with God than it is to walk out of fellowship with God. Amen? And therefore, it is important for us to learn that we are to confess our sins to God to maintain fellowship with God. But wait a minute. Go back to James chapter 5. In James chapter 5, he just tells us something else that's important. That it is important for us to confess our sins to one another. You hear that? It is important for us to confess our sins to one another. Now, I want you to, I want you to really listen carefully. You're going to have to think this morning, all right? Don't put your brain in autopilot. I need for you to think this morning. When it's talking about confessing your sins to one another, it doesn't mean we all stand up and tell everybody about all the sins we've ever done and all the things we're, we're doing this week. That's not what it's talking about. What it's talking about is just as it is important to confess our sins before God when we sin against God. It is also important for us to confess our sins to one another when we sin against one another. Did you hear that? Listen to me. Hold on. Don't, don't miss this. Justice is important to confess our sins to God to maintain fellowship. So it is important that we likewise will confess our sins one to another that we can maintain fellowship. Let's go back to that, that analogy. We have all sinned before God. We have to confess our sin before God to maintain fellowship. Hold on a second. We all sin in relationship to one another. All right? We all sin in relationship to one another, and, and we need to be willing to confess our sins before one another, and then we will maintain fellowship with each other. See, one of our problems is that's the missing link. One of the missing links of vitality in the Christian life is that we do very little confessing of our sins to one another. We don't. We are far better at confessing our sins to God then we are confessing our sins to one another. Why? Well, one thing, it's a little bit easier to confess our sins to God. Isn't that true? Let's just talk about some things that makes it easier for us to confess our, our sins to God. The first thing is, God knows us. <laughs> he already knows us, right? He knows everything about us. And here's another thing, and He loves us. He knows us and He loves us. He has an unconditional love that he loves us when we are unloving and unlovable. 
So because God knows me already and he loves me already, it makes it easier for me to go and to confess my sin. Here, here's the second thing makes it easier. Is God in his word has already told us. He has already told us that if we will confess our sin, he will forgive us. Right? I mean, God's already said, if you will confess your sin, I will forgive you. I will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. That's a great thing to know. And here's the third thing why it's easier. It's done in private. It's done in my closet. Isn't that right? I mean, I want to tell you, when I sin before Almighty God, I don't come tell you about it. I don't need a priest to go tell them about it. I don't need anybody. Jesus is my mediator. He is my high priest. Amen. And whenever I sin before God, I go in my closet alone. And thank God it's in the closet, right? And I confess before God in privacy in my closet, and God forgives me, and he loves me, and he will maintain fellowship with me. That is much easier than confessing our sins with or towards one another. Why? Let's take those in the opposite order. Why is it difficult? Because we're not certain about our relationship with people. We're not always certain about our relationship. How, how, how is my relationship with him? What is it gonna, how is this going to affect my relationship when I confess sin? And we're certainly not convinced that they have unconditional love towards us. Most of us think that people love us because we meet certain conditions. And if we stop meeting those conditions or we disappoint somebody or we fail somebody, that they're not going to stick with us. We are not certain of their unconditional love. Therefore, since we're not certain of that relationship and we're not certain of that unconditional love, it makes it harder. It makes it harder. Here's the second thing. Where God has already said that he will forgive, we don't always know that they will forgive us. I mean, whenever we're going to confess our sins to somebody, they may forgive us or they may not forgive us. They, they have not pronounced, and they are not holy God, to pronounce that I will forgive you if you will confess. We don't know. So we're taking a chance in relationship to that. Will they or will they not forgive me? And here's the third thing, and this is the hard one, all right? Listen. The third thing is that confession is not made in private. That confession is exposed. I have to expose my sin to that person. I have to expose my rotten attitude or my actions to that person. I have to say it out, speak it out. Matter of fact, it's, it's a really interesting thing. If you take, the, you take the passage in 1 John where it says to confess with God, there are two words that make up, two, a compound word that makes up that word confession. The word is homo, which means same, and the other is the word lego. Words to speak. That word to confess to God means to speak the same. To speak the same or to agree with God that what he says is sin, I say sin. That's what, that's what that word confess means. To say what God calls sin, sin. And when I will agree with God that it is sin and I'm sorry for that sin, he forgives me. All right? But here in James when it used the word, it's the same word, homo lego, but in the front of it is a little word, a little prefix, ek, E-K. And, and, and that changes everything. You know what it means? It says, the same words speak the same out loud. 
That's what the word ek means. It means to say it out loud. I mean, God can read your mind, amen? But people can't read your mind. So when you're going to go confess to somebody, you're going to have to do what? You're going to have to confess it out loud. You're going to have to confess it out loud. It's not done in privacy. It's done in that time, in that moment, and you're making yourself vulnerable. You have to humble yourself before that person, and you're confessing your sin before that person. Now, that's what James says. James says we need to confess our sins when we have sinned against each other. When we've done something wrong to another believer, another person, we need to be Christian enough. We need to be bold enough. We need to be humble enough. (coughs) We need to be the person who says, I'm going to go and I'm going to get that right. I'm not going to sweep it under the rug. Oh, you looked under your rug lately? I'm not going to sweep it under the rug. I'm actually going to deal with it. I'm going to confess my sin to that person that I have sinned against that I might be healed. That's what it said, that I might be healed. Not necessarily physical healing. It could be physical healing, but it can be spiritual healing. And one of the reasons that we lose the dynamic of our Christian life and we don't have the overflowing joy that John spoke about is because we are not willing to confess our sins to one another. And James says, just as important as confessing your sins to God, it's also important to confess your sins to one another when you've sinned against each other. Amen? Now, let me give you some guidelines about confessing sin. Here's some important guidelines for you to write down, all right? You really need to know these things. When it comes to confession of sin to one another or confession about sin. Here's the first first little guideline. Confession is only made within the circle of the offended. You need to write that down. That is important. Confession of sin is only made within the circle of the offended. That means you only confess sin to those who have been offended. For instance... If your sin is a sin of heart, a sin of attitude, and your sin is against God and against God only, then you confess your sin to God. You don't have to confess that sin to anybody else, all right? A sin against God, you confess to God. But if you sin and that sin is against God and also against another person, You've sinned against God and you've sinned against another person. Then you need to ask forgiveness and confess your sin to both of them. You need to get right with God. And then you need to get right with that person. Now, let me tell you, that's where we falter. We will sin against God and we will sin against others. And we will confess to God, but we never confess to the other person. Well, that's only half the job. And matter of fact, as we just saw, it's the easier part of the job. Okay? But if we sin against God and we sin against somebody else, we confess it within that circle. Hold on a second. If we sin against God and we sin against a group of people, a group of people, somebody that we're in a group of, if we sin against God and that group, we are supposed to confess our sin to God and then we confess our sin to the group. 
uh-oh, that's even harder. But that's what we're supposed to do. If we're serious about wanting to have fellowship with God and fellowship with one another, and we're serious about having the joy of the Lord as our strength, and we want to walk in the power of God as the church and as individual believers and as a family, we need to take seriously what James says, that we are not only to confess to God, but confess to one another. But that confession is always made within the circle of the offended. Listen now. There is a great danger if you confess sin outside the circle of the offended. You are not to do that. You understand that? You are not to do that. If you sinned against God or an individual and you're in a group setting and all of a sudden you're just confessing your sin to the whole group, that's not appropriate. It's not for the group to be involved. It's for God and that individual. That's where you need to stand. That's where you need to stay. There is a great danger of confessing sin outside of the circle of the offended. Always know who has been offended, who's been touched, and then you must be willing to get it right and make it right. Here's a second guideline. Do not involve others in your confession. In other words, you don't need to confess somebody else's sin. All right? Even if there's a group of you who do it, it's not for you to confess somebody. It's only yours. What you need to do is focus on you, yourself, and your responsibility of what happened. What are you responsible for? What did you do? How did you sin? You do not, you are not focused on anybody else except you. You're not involved in anybody else except you. You confess your sin to that individual, to that group, or wherever it might be, and what you have done. And what that responsibility is, whether it's an attitude, whether it's an action, whether it's an, it's an omission, whatever, whatever it is, whatever it is, you confess that there and only there in that circle of the offended and don't involve anybody else except for you. Three, here's one. Confess your sins without expecting any response from the individual. Right? Confess your sin without expecting any response. See, a lot of times we want to confess our sin because we think that's a catalyst to get them to confess their sin. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you what I did wrong so that you'll tell me what you did wrong. Now, usually when we do that, we think we did 5% wrong and they did 95% wrong. So I'm going to confess my 5% so they'll get right on their 95%, Right? That's not the way you do it. You confess your sin without expecting any response. You do not expect them to confess to you, to ask forgiveness anyway. You just don't do it. If you do, you may be disappointed. And you're not doing it with the right motive anyway. Your motive is that you want to get right with God and anyone else, and you want to remove any hindrance there is in your fellowship with God and anyone else. You want the joy of the Lord. Therefore, you focus on you. And don't worry about what somebody else says or what somebody else does. Here's the fourth one. This is hard. This is hard. Be prepared to make restitution to the offended person if necessary. 
You hear that? Be prepared to make restitution to the offended person if necessary. In other words, if your sin costs somebody something, if your sin dealt with money or dealt with property or dealt with loss, your sin did it, then you can't only just go confess your sin. You've got to be willing to make restitution. Now, let me tell you, that's not easy. But you've got to be willing to do it. i give you a personal illustration. When I was in high school, I worked for a florist. And uh, one of the jobs we had, high school students at florist, is flowers came in a box with ice in it, and your job was to cut the ends of the, of the flowers and put them in water, and that brought them back to life. Well, in Pascagoula, Mississippi, it's about 98 degrees and about 105 humidity. It's hot. It's hot, hot, a lot hotter than here, okay? But whenever we were out there, a friend and I, we were out there working that morning. We were cutting these flowers, cutting these flowers, and we were sticking them in there. We were talking and doing everything else. And at the end of the day, then what you did, the, person, the last person there, they had to break the boxes down, those big boxes, and throw it in the dumpster. Well, I happened that particular day that we were cutting those flowers. I happened that particular day to have a ball game. So I got off early and went, went to play ball. When I was standing on deck getting ready to go bat, my friend who was at work who went to, and put the boxes around it, they came and he's standing there with his big eyes open looking at me on deck. And I said, what are you doing here? He said, you're not going to believe what we did. I said, what did we do? He said, there was a half a box of flowers that we forgot to cut. We saw they were there. when I went to empty the garbage, said those flowers were brown. They were dead. I said, what'd you do? He said, I jumped in there and tore all those flowers up and threw them in there. I said, good for you. You did good. <laughs> I mean, I didn't make but $1.35 an hour. And I thought how much those flowers cost, I wouldn't be. I'd work the whole summer for nothing. You know, so I, I thought that's a good idea. That's great. I'm glad you did that. Protected us. That was in high school. Well, in the meantime, I go to college, I get called to preach, I go to seminary and all that kind of thing, and, and come back. I, I mean, this is years later, and God is dealing with me about having a clear conscience that I have nothing between me and the Lord, nothing between me and someone else. And do you know, this is like 12 years later, 12 years later, God brings up to me about those flowers. He brings up about those flowers and what we did, and he told me, you've got to go and you've got to get this right. Florists in my hometown. Now, you got to understand, the people who are the florists, they were, they're a Catholic family, but I worked for them for years. I, in college, I went back and worked with them some. We just, they loved me. They, when I was a Baptist pre- young Baptist preacher, preacher, these Catholics would come watch me preach, just like I was their grandson. They loved me, and I loved them. And, man, they thought the sun rose and set with me, and I got to go tell them what I did. I made every excuse in the world, but God said, you got to go. So I'm a poor student, I mean, a seminary student, I don't have any money. I don't remember, I didn't have much money at all. But I remember taking my checkbook, and I went to see the Martins, that was their name. And I, I sat down with them. They said, oh, you're here, come here, let's go in the house. We sat down and talked, and I'm like, boy, you know, they don't know why I'm here. And, and, and all of a sudden, I, I said, well, I've just got to tell you all something. I went back to all that story I just told you, and I said, I said, I don't have any idea what those flowers cost. But I said, I've got my checkbook here to make restitution and, and to pay for that. And, and we, we, all of us got to crying, you know, at, at the same time and, and everything. And they said, we don't have any idea what those flowers cost. They just said, whatever you feel like you need to, to do, you just give that money to some ministry somewhere. So I, I remember I wrote a $200 check to Brother Andrew. Y'all remember Brother Andrew used to sneak Bibles into the Iron Curtain countries? And I, I wrote that out. I didn't know how much it was supposed to be, but I wrote that out. And I was satisfied. But 
but the key was you got to be willing to make restitution. And, 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 and you might say, well, that cuts me out right there because there's no way I can make restitution. you got to be willing to make restitution. God will do miraculous things to give you the means whereby you will get right and you can make restitution if you're willing to make restitution in order to have fellowship with God. So you got to be willing to do it. If it comes up, you've got to be willing to do it. Now, let me give you some helpful suggestions when confessing to others, all right? First thing, be brief, be brief and clear as possible. Whenever you're confessing your sin, be brief and as clear as possible. Think about it before you go there, all right? Because the problem is there are major problems when you get to talking too much. When you get to talking too much, you're going to say some things that ought not be said. You're going to include things that shouldn't be there. You just need to be clear and brief to communicate what you have done. You you just need to be clear and let them know you've sinned and you want to get that right. A great example of that is in Luke 15, the prodigal son. We know the prodigal son went in the far country and he lived a wasteful life and no telling all of what he did. But when he came home to make confession, he didn't go through the laundry list of all the sorry stuff he did. What did he do? Father, I have sinned against you. I've sinned against God. I no longer deserve to be your son. Would you forgive me and let me just be a servant? He was clear. He was brief. He was saying, I'm sorry. He didn't have to go through the laundry list of all those details he had to. So I suggest to you, be clear and be brief. Second thing, determine the appropriate time, place, and method. Determine the appropriate time, place, and method. When you're choosing a time, you need to choose a time that you're going to get right with somebody that is convenient for them. All right? It's convenient for them. In other words, if they are a Walmart check, uh, cashier, don't go confessing while they're checking out your groceries and everybody else's. Amen? <laughs> I mean, that's not the right place. It's got to be a convenient time for them. It also needs to be a time that's uninterrupted between you and them. Because the old devil, he's going to try to interrupt anything you're trying to do to get right with people and get right with God, all right? So you need to plan for that time to be an uninterrupted time. Convenient for them, uninterrupted. Appropriate place. Appropriate place. Well, it needs to be private. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I don't, want to, I don't want to tell everybody what I'm going to be confessing. I don't like to let my faults and failures be known by the whole world. So it needs to be private, but it needs to be protected. Private protect, but protected place where you would go. And then, and then when is the, what is the appropriate method? Well, the, the best methods are either to make a phone call to them and talk to them by phone call or either to go see them. Based on the passage in Matthew 5 when it says, if you are offering a sacrifice and you find that your brother has ought against you, leave the sacrifice and go to him. It gives you the idea of going in person. So you need to do it by phone call or to go in person to see that person. Here's, but here's the big thing. Do not write a letter. Do not write an email. Do not send a text or whatever all those other Twitters and tweeters could be. Don't send any of those things, all right? That's the worst thing in the world. Matter of fact, text right now can cause more headaches and more problems in relationships you ever imagine because you're trying to communicate things that cannot be communicated 
through written form, and somebody gets upset and mad, you didn't even intend for it to be that way. Or just, just don't do it that way, all right? Whenever you're confessing sin, you either do it in person or you call them. Do not send a text. Do not write a letter. Because there's some things that you're confessing you want everybody to forget. You don't want it in written form. Amen? I don't want my confessions in written form. Jesus said he cast it in the sea of forgetfulness. And, and I want to make sure that they can cast it in the sea of forgetfulness. And it can't when it's written out there. So do not do it by text. Here's the third thing, a helpful suggestion. Carefully choose your wording. Whenever you're confessing your sin to somebody else, carefully choose your wording. Let me give you some ideas of wrong wording. Here's some wrong wording. Listen. I was wrong, but you were too. Does it work? I was wrong, but you were too. That's wrong. Wrong wording. I'm sorry about it, but it wasn't all my fault. Some of you are laughing because you've used these. I know. Here's one. I'm sorry. Attached to that is for what? What are you sorry for? I'm sorry for what? In other words, you've offended. There's an offense. You've got to identify the offense. What did you do? What did you say? Not just that I'm sorry. Here's one. If I have wronged you, please forgive me. Well, if you don't know that you've wronged them, what are you there asking forgiveness for, right? If I've wronged you, please forgive me. That, that's wrong wording. Not good. Not good. I'm sorry about the way I lied to you. Please forgive me. I'm not sorry I lied to you. I'm sorry about the way I lied to you. And please forgive me. Please forgive me is an easy, easy out. Those are all wrong. Be careful and and think clearly about what you're saying. Let me give you a good example. Here's the right wording, okay? God has convicted me of how wrong I've been in whatever the offense is. God has convicted me of how wrong I have been in my attitude, in my action. I have called you or I have come to see you to ask you to forgive me. You hear that? In case you're writing it down, I want to say it again. God has convicted me of how wrong I've been in this sin. I have called or come to ask you to forgive me. That's the right wording. And you can put any offense in there. (laughs) Any offense. All right. Number four in your notes. What is the most asked question? What is the most asked question whenever it comes to confessing your sin to somebody else? What's the one I get asked more than anything else? Here it is. What if they will not forgive me? That's the most asked question. Well, I, I'm going to go and I'm going to confess my sin. I'm willing to do that. But, but what if they will not forgive me? What if they will not forgive me? Well, here's some, here's some truths. Write these down, all right? You need to know this. First of all, if you are sincere in your repentance, that's important. If you are sincere in your repentance, you're really sorry for what you've done. If you've identified your offense, you haven't just said generally that I'm sorry. You've identified your offense. And if you are humble in your request, most people will forgive. You hear that? Listen now. 
If you're sincere in your repentance, if you've identified your offense, and if you're humble in your request, most people will forgive. But hold on a second. Let's say that you've encountered a person who does not fit in that category. I mean, there's nothing that says somebody is obligated to forgive you. They should, but they're not obligated to. So you encounter someone, well, I want you to take heart in this. That when you have confessed your sin and you have sought to be right and make it right with that other person, that based on Romans 12, 18, Romans 12, 18, you can be at peace. And this is what it says. It says, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people, with all men. As far as it depends on you. Be at peace with all people. So if God's convicted you in your heart and you want to get that right and you go to that person and you do it sincerely and you are humble in your heart and you have the offense that you've identified and you say that to that person and they're unwilling to forgive you, that's okay. As far as it depends on you, you're at peace with all people. And it will not affect your fellowship with God. It's going to open up your heart. It's going to open up your life to new joys that you have seen. I'm telling you, I really believe this is one of the areas that we have so minimized and we have so suppressed and we've so neglected in that James passage that we let it alter us and hinder us in so many ways we don't experience the joy of the Lord. Now, here's the big question. I don't want you to stand up. This is a rhetorical question, but... As we've talked about this, as we've talked about this matter of confession of our sin to others, not just to God, but to others, has the Holy Spirit brought anybody to your mind? Has the Holy Spirit quickened your heart that there's somebody that you need to get right with? There's somebody that has ought against you. There's somebody that your fellowship is not what it should be? Has the Holy Spirit quickened your heart? If he has, then determine to make it right. Determine to make it right. I'm here to tell you, you will experience joy unspeakable. I, I shared with you about what I did with the Martins. That was the biggest burden. That was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. Hardest thing I've ever done in my But I can't tell you the joy that I walked out of there. The joy I had when I walked out of there. Because I knew that I'd done what God had told me. And and that there was nothing between me and those lovely people. Who had ministered to me and cared for me. Would you be determined to get it right? Now, Now, I know something. I know as quickly as you are, as quickly as you're convicted by the Holy Spirit to do it. I know that your excuses began to roll. I mean, we, we can make all kinds of excuses, can't we? I, we certainly can. Let me, let me give you a few excuses. This came from a conference when I was a high schooler. It was a basic youth conflicts conference I went to in Atlanta. And it was about having a clear conscience. And whenever I was trying to get that clear conscience after the seminary student, I went to this thing started reading it. And, and every one of these excuses I used, I'm not going to say them all to you, but, but listen, listen to these things. If you're trying to make excuses, why not to get right? It happened a long time ago. That's an excuse. It happened a long time ago. Well, if it happened a long time ago, then why are you still thinking about it? 
Why is it still in your mind if it's not important? It doesn't matter how long ago it happened. If it's in your mind and God quickens your heart, you need to get it right. It was a small offense. Once again, if it was such a small offense, why are you thinking about it? If it's not important, why would God bring it to your heart or to your mind? All kinds of excuses. No one's perfect. No one's perfect. None of us are perfect. That's right. But we can be a little more perfect than we are. Amen? And the Holy Spirit wants us. Making it right will involve money, which I don't have. That's okay. It's better to be an honest debtor than a dishonest thief. Amen? Isn't that true? And like I said, God may show you miraculous ways that he will provide. Here's a big one, big excuse. None of you ever use this. I'll do it later. Called procrastination. I'll do it later. It's not going to get any easier later. The longer you let it wait, it's like a thorn in your hand. It'll get all festered up and it's harder to get out. Don't wait later. I'll only do it over again. Well, the only reason you're doing it over again is because you haven't really confessed. Because whenever you find out how hard it is to go confess, you don't want to do it again. When you do real confession and truth and you're honest about that, you don't want to do it again. It'll keep you from doing it again. The other person was mostly wrong. You don't have anything to do with that person. What matters is what are you supposed to do in your heart? If I, person, if I purpose not to do it again, won't that be enough? No. Not if you've offended somebody else. You need to get that right. They're not Christians. What will they think? They might think they ran across the first real Christian who was serious about actually getting right in relationships. If I go back, I'll get my friend in trouble. No, you're not confessing for your friend. You're confessing for you. There's a million other excuses. But don't let any excuse keep you from confessing your sin to one another. Now, that last song we sung, grace, your grace is sufficient, your grace is sufficient. That's a great song for this message. Because I'm here to tell you one thing. If you're going to do what God wants you to do, and you're going to take seriously matter of confession, you're going to need the grace of God. It's not easy. If it was easy, everybody did it. But it's important. And that's why James writes it. Let us confess our sins to one another that we might be healed. That we might be healed. As the Holy Spirit quickens your heart about it, I pray you'll make that right. That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon dash series Jesus said I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace in this world you will have trouble I have overcome the world we can help you know the one who can bring you peace find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.